Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. I think there's a basic wisdom. The man, the woman on the Clapham omnibus, they tend to get these judgments right. Four. You can be Daniel Gregg. I'm going to be Monica Bellucci and, and Richard can be C. Three. Personally, pretty fed up with George Osborne. Two. Be a bit like a government of dogs ban- <laughs> banning barking, wouldn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. One. Halligan and Pearson, if you're looking for things they have in common, they were both useless at University Challenge. We have liftoff. Welcome to episode two of Planet Normal, a brand new Telegraph podcast with Alison Pearson. Hello. And me, Liam Halligan. Well, here we are, speeding away from the launch pad for only the second time. Alison and I have barely got our flying wings, but we've been overwhelmed with the response to our first episode. It seems lots of you are sick of gotcha political coverage and the relentlessly negative news cycle. Because after just a single blast-off, thanks to your reviews and rankings, Planet Normal roared to the top of the Apple UK News podcast charts, debuting at number one. Yes, I'm not quite sure how we managed that. Imagine how much better we'll be once I figure out what a podcast actually is. <laughs> much of the credit for the success of that first episode must go to the lovely Alan Johnson, the former Labour Home Secretary turned best-selling writer, who gave Liam such a fantastic interview. What a charming man, full of wisdom. Perfect guest for us. This week, I hope we're going to have as much of a treat. It's my turn to welcome a guest to Planet Normal, a former spymaster who I think will astonish you with the revelations he has to disclose. But before that, Alison, another busy news week. The press caravan seems to have moved on from Dominic Cummings. Lockdown is easing slightly. I'm sure you've been peeing in various people's gardens (laughs) at barbecues, so to speak. Absolutely. (laughs) And this was the week also when, as you've written in your Telegraph column, You hit a brick wall. What happened? Yeah, I just felt really low on Saturday and Sunday, Liam. I mean, I know I I live in a a pleasant house with a garden, but I just think it's been over 10 weeks now. There's been a build-up of strain. I think a lot of us feel our resilience is low. I got kind of quite tearful and angry. I'm feeling pretty depressed about the way that the world seems to have turned upside down. Measures of lockdown are easing, but we're not being given our old world back yet. And that does feel really strange. I mean, I read your column and I found it incredibly moving. There's clearly a lot of anguish out there. I think the political debate is shifting, a lot more emphasis on the damage being done to the economy, the health implications of that, the knock-on mental health, uh, even deaths resulting from a deep economic downturn. 
And I know you've got some problems, haven't you, with policies the government's actually following, not least the quarantine rules that they're due to bring in on June the 8th. Well, I think that that's right. There may be a shift, but I think the politicians are staring at the the polls still, Liam, and they're saying a huge majority of people don't want the lockdown measures eased. So you can imagine the tension, can't you, between the sort of Rishi Sunak side who's saying we've got to get the economy going and then the others who are advocating more caution. And today we had Sir Keir Starmer in the Commons accusing Boris of winging it. And Starmer could say, look, we need to ease the lockdown, but they're going on the you know, if we lose one life, Boris is to blame. So that puts them in a really bad position. And I think it's forcing the government to make these quite erratic decisions. I have a big problem with this quarantine, which Pretty Patel defended in the Telegraph, saying we owe it to the lives of everyone who's died to institute this two-week quarantine starting on Monday. Well, For visitors to the UK. For visitors to the UK. Now, they didn't bother to institute a quarantine, did they, back in February or March, when actually there were other parts of the world which had more infection than us. And now we have, we're facing the, I think, frankly, ludicrous proposition that we'll be stopping people coming in from European countries which have notably less infection than the United Kingdom. So where's the sense in that? You tell me. It does seem like a case of closing the stable door after the horses bolted to me. I still think there's time and I still think the government will ease that quarantine, the introduction of the quarantine rules, not least due to protests from the travel industry, the hospitality industry, UK service sector in general. We do seem to be like an outlier just because we've got very combative, often quite venal politics. The government seems to be doing things that really don't pass the common sense sniff test. I absolutely agree with that. I mean, don't know if you heard the chief executive of Heathrow saying that after the health pandemic could come the unemployment pandemic if they're going to be, you know, places like Heathrow, these vast aviation industries, all our hospitality, tourism industries going to the wall. But I think you're right. I think there's a hysterical mainstream media barking at the politicians about the highest death rate. So I think you're right. I think it is forcing them to introduce these quite draconian measures which don't actually make much sense. Now, what do you think about this idea? Is the British government introducing the quarantine now to sort of retrofit their explanation for when the public inquiry takes place? And is it also doing it because there are other countries which will say we can't have the Brits coming in because they've got the worst infection? So it's almost like getting our quarantine in first. What do you think? Well, there definitely will be a public inquiry. And I do think the government feels weakened. I think the honeymoon is now over. There's talks of Boris Johnson losing votes in Parliament. And I think there's a certain sense of trying to control the political narrative with measures that a lot of the public just won't buy. And I wrote in The Telegraph last weekend about unemployment. There was a an almost barely noticed speech by a Bank of England official that said that unemployment in this country may already be at 9%. When we were kids back in the early 80s, we got to 1 in 10. Do you remember that UB40 song, Alison? (laughs) I'm a 1 in 10. Well, we're already at 9% on preliminary data, according to the Bank of England. And that's before furloughing ends. On top of that, we've got another 8 million people on furlough, the newest numbers suggest. And 
inevitably with the best will in the world once that furlough ends and it's going to be ended on a sort of tapered basis with employers paying more and more as we approach october when the scheme's due to end completely then that unemployment number will surely go up i mean i've been talking to credible economists who are not alarmist in their approach very very detailed and we're discussing unemployment figures of 15 or 20% for a while at least, one in five, really serious. Yeah, I, I'm I'm much more frightened about that than I am at the virus. I mean, something I wrote about this week is about these scientists. I mean, obviously they're terrific, but are they the people to be coming up with measures for how people live their lives? Because, you know, I've got some scientist friends and, you know, they can barely tie their own shoelaces, bless them. There's a headline in The Sun, Boris bans bonking. And you think, you know, the guy... <laughs> Good old son. <laughs> we've, we've, we've come we've come to a pretty bad pass when our famously healthily appetited prime minister is uh, accused of not allowing members of the public to have sex. So- be a bit like a government of dogs ban- <laughs> banning barking, wouldn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. But it's like you know you can't go in your paddling pool. I mean, are we allowed to pee in the paddling pool, Liam? I mean, oh, you know, God. it's all very complicated. Alison, it's ca- lunchtime. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Well, I've actually I actually had a friend who went to the beach at the weekend. She described it as pee tip. Instead of fly tipping, it's now pee tipping. That everyone's got to go somewhere. So we're allowed to go out, but all the public loos are shut. Just coming back to this thing. So this week, quite quietly, we're supposed to have um, a three-week review of the lockdown. Every three weeks we have a review. But quite quietly, Matt Hancock said this week, oh no, it's going to be 28 days now. Four until weeks. The next, four weeks. You get so, the feeling we should be going from three weeks to two weeks to one week as we kind of you know, ease our way out of the lockdown, but they are extending the review period. So why are they? That seems completely counterfactual to me. Well, I think it's actually really alarming in terms of civil liberties. I mean, they've taken our freedoms. And Matt Hancock said, said, oh, you know, we're going to now tell you things you can do. And I thought, whoopee-doo. They should be justifying every single day we are losing £2.4 billion. They should be justifying every single day they keep this lockdown going. And something that's really becoming clear now, Liam, is that the rates of the virus in the community are right down. The government says, oh, we've got to keep the R below one. It's now between 0.6 and 0.9. It is in the hospitals and the care homes, but in vast tracts of the country, many areas, it could be as low as zero. So what are we doing? We've got huge numbers of people in the southwest, in East Anglia, where I am. What is going on? Small businesses are closed, but you really would struggle to get coronavirus where I am and in where many people are. So what's going on? I've argued for a long time that um, those aged 20, uh, in their 20s and 30s, who don't live with their parents should should be back at work. I personally think that should have happened weeks ago. But look, also this week, the story of China really broke through, not just with the British government responding to events in Hong Kong, offering two to 300,000 Hong Kong Chinese with certain British passports rights to come to this country and even stay. A big debate about whether or not we should be offering citizenship to lots more Hong Kong Chinese. And also there's the sense that Boris Johnson really is under pressure now to change his decision, allowing Huawei to build Britain's 5G superfast broadband infrastructure. And I believe, Alison, that China was the main subject that you discussed with the latest and only our second Planet Normal guest. Yes, Liam. Well, 
I decided to get in touch with Sir Richard Dearlove to talk to him about China because I thought there'll be no better person to give us the inside track. People may know Richard that from 1999 to 2004, he was the head of British secret intelligence where he was known as C. Our top spy, basically, MI6. Top spy. M is Judy Dench. C is Richard Dearlove. And okay, I've got it now. I, I can imagine. <laughs> as long as I can be Daniel Craig. <laughs> you can be Daniel Craig. I'm going to be Monica Bellucci and, and Richard could be C. So I guess people will be thinking, hang on, this is planet normal. Why are we having this guy who's such a senior member of the British establishment on? Well, I think what makes Richard one of us really is he's so often used his eminent position to give voice to the deepest concerns of ordinary people. During the general election campaign, you may remember, he said that the prospect of Jeremy Corbyn becoming prime minister was the stuff of nightmare. I love the fact he pointed out that the Labour leader would fail to pass the security vetting required to gain access to classified information, which would have made his time in number 10 quite interesting. For 38 years, Richard Dealer was on the front line in the Cold War, often undercover behind the Iron Curtain against the Soviet Empire. And I thought, what an extraordinary man. So I rang him and said, will you come and talk to us? And he said, yeah, he'd be delighted to talk about the threat from another communist regime. Richard, hello. Hello, Alison. Can we begin with Beijing's reaction to the coronavirus pandemic, which it claims started in a wet market in Wuhan in December, We've seen some pretty unpleasant bully boy tactics from Beijing in the past few months. Do you think China's taking advantage of the chaos it unleashed? Well, it's definitely trying to control the narrative. And I think in looking at the leadership's reaction, it has also been, as it were, making the best of the situation for which it was largely responsible for China and Chinese interests, yes. And I think that there is a very strong effort which is centrally organised to control you know, how China is regarded in the aftermath of the pandemic in particular. Uh, there's no question it's been massively damaging for China's reputation. The example that we've all seen, which I think is fascinating, is the faked bits of people cheering on their balconies as if they were cheering for China, which they were certainly not. But I think there's a lot more that's going to come out over the course of the next month, couple of months. President Trump seems pretty determined to hold Beijing to account. He's always calling it the Wuhan flu, isn't he? Do you agree with his approach? Well, one makes oneself rather unpopular to say you agree with President Trump. <laughs> but I think... There's a lot about his China policy that's right, because, you know, we need an explanation from the Chinese as to what happened. We need an international inquiry. And yes, I do on this issue agree with Trump's hard line. And I think we should support it. It's okay, we won't hold it against you. No, we don't. (laughs) I think that one thing that normal people on planet normal, I guess, will have found quite shocking is the way the pandemic has revealed how deeply in hock the UK is to China. I mean, we clearly rely on China for PPE, for medicines, for university students. How did you feel in 2015 when George Osborne proclaimed a golden era in which Britain was China's best friend in the West? Personally, pretty fed up with George Osborne. (laughs) I think he was extremely uncritical 
in the way that he was willing to embrace the Chinese relationship. But, you know, we all have to recognize that, you know, our economies have become integrated to a strong degree with China's. So there's no way we're going to isolate ourselves from having a relationship with China. But on the other hand, I think we need to approach it with real care and criticism and not put parts of our economy into Chinese hands. I mean, I think there will be a complete reassessment of this situation mm. for the UK and for many other countries in the aftermath of the pandemic. You suggested to me that George Osborne should be ashamed of the approach he'd taken. Is that is that something you feel? Well, I do, actually. And I, I mean, I've, I only met him a few times. And in some respects, you know, one admires him as a politician. But I think the problem with young politicians, and when he was in office, he was young, is that they lack experience and they lack depth of knowledge. And I don't think that George Osborne really understood what the leadership of a real communist party is like. I mean, I spent most of my career dealing with the issue of communism, the sort of autocratic nature of the way that these parties are run, and their immense disregard for law, for human rights, for all of these areas. And George Osborne just conveniently disregarded all of that. Chinese behavior internationally has, let's say, deteriorated in the last five years. I mean, we have seen Xi Jinping create a much more authoritarian and a much more locked down way of ruling China and, and a very sort of strong pursuit, a more aggressive pursuit of Chinese interests internationally. So I mean, there is some excuse for the government in terms of its position back in time. But uh, I think there was a degree of naivety in the way that China was embraced. So back in January, before the pandemic, the UK gave Huawei a significant role in building our 5G network. As we say on Planet Normal, was that bloody stupid or what? Well, the issue of Huawei is complicated. And uh, I mean, I've been very outspoken on not allowing Huawei any role in our 5G. Uh, the problem is that British Telecom signed a deal back in 2001, 2002, actually, whilst I was chief, with Huawei. And we, we became very much involved with this company and entangled with them. So they are present already in our telecom system to a significant degree. But just because they are, given, as it were, the importance of 5G in terms of our national infrastructure, I really think we have to call a halt and step back, despite the problems that that causes and the fact that disentangling ourselves from Huawei is going to take several years. But we should still definitely, definitely do it. I mean, the fact is, if you understand the nature of Chinese leadership, Chinese intelligence, having China embedded in our 5G is a security problem, a serious one. Can we move on now to a rather explosive topic? So a paper on COVID-19 has just been published by the Quarterly Review of Biophysics Discovery by the Norwegian virologist Berger Sorensen and Professor Gustav Gleisch of St. George's Hospital at the University of London. 
I know you've been involved with this and I know it's very complicated stuff, but basically it involves a detailed etiology of the virus, which they need to create a vaccine. Now, Sorensen and Dalgleish say that the RNA sequence of the virus includes inserts which could not have occurred naturally in zoonotic transfer. Now, for the benefit of non-scientists, including me and you, I think. Including me. <laughs> that means the coronavirus was engineered in a laboratory. Richard, do you think those findings are reliable? I mean, I, I think people will be reeling. Well, I have read this paper many times in draft, and it's been rewritten many times. And I think that the importance of the paper is that it is written by two very knowledgeable scientists, um, one a, a world-leading virologist, well, both of them are actually. It's been peer-reviewed extensively. It's been printed in a journal which is most prestigious. And I think it is a very important contribution to a debate which is now starting about how how the virus evolved and how it got out and, and broke out as a pandemic. I mean, I'm not a scientist. I'm not really prepared to speculate very far, but I think, I think this particular article is very important and I think it will shift the debate. But, I mean, let's see what happens because there will be scientists with other views who I'm sure will dispute this finding. But as I understand it, it looks as though the theories that Sorensen in particular puts forward are based on some quite important discoveries about the virus, which other people have not hitherto observed. A scientist explained it to me very well, and I think analogy works very well because these are things are very complex matters. But he said, if you're a literary scholar, you can spot Victorian meddling in Shakespeare's folios. You can just see it because to the trained eye, these changes will stand out. And I think that's what Sorensen and Dalgleish were finding is probably quite, you know, my, little little changes which have revealed this extraordinary thing. So, Richard, can I ask you, if there are telltale sections of the genome in COVID-19 which reveal that this virus, which, let's face it, has killed tens of thousands of people and caused global economic carnage, if it turns out to be what you described to me as an engineered escapee, what would be the implications for China's position in the world? Well, I think the most important implications is it means you're more likely to build a vaccine that works if you know precisely. So that's the first point. The second point is, well, I, I suppose it raises the issue if China ever were to admit responsibility, does it pay reparations? Mm. I mean, obviously, you can't change the sort of aggregated human tragedy that is represented by the pandemic. But I think it will make every country in the world rethink how it treats its relationship with China and, you know, how we internationally or the international community behave towards the Chinese leadership. And I, I, what I'm pleased about is there are many critical voices now amongst our politicians from all parties in terms of how we should manage this relationship. 
And I'm not saying we shouldn't have a relationship. We have to. Mm. On the 21st of May, the White House issued this scathing report, which was attacking Beijing's predatory economic policies, military build-up, disinformation campaigns, human rights violations. And Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, said that the media's focus on the current pandemic misses the bigger picture He said, for several decades, we thought the regime would become more like us. That didn't happen. We greatly underestimated the degree to which Beijing is ideologically and politically hostile to free nations. You're saying the world's waking up to that now, are you? We are waking up to it. Bear in mind that Pompeo previously was head of CIA. And I think the essence of that report is correct. We have to modulate our relationship with the Chinese in the light of the type of regime that it is and not, as it were, kid ourselves that it's something different and something we should be enthusiastic about. Richard, if you were the head of MI6 now, and you were sitting next to Boris Johnson at at a suitably socially distanced distance from (laughs) Boris Johnson, what would you say to him about What's been this trajectory of ever-increasing dependency on China? What would you say? That we need to go into reverse. It's important that we do not put any of our critical infrastructure in the hands of Chinese interests. So telecommunications, Huawei, our nuclear power stations, and then things that you know, we require a need in a crisis like PPE. (laughs) It's relatively easy to make a list. But as I said, you know, our economy is intertwined with China. I mean, we let China into the World Trade Organization in whenever it was, 2001 or 2002. Mm. Okay, maybe that was a mistake to let them in on the terms that we did. They came in on their own terms without any of the critical restraints that operate on the governments of free countries. And um, we have allowed China so much rope that we are now suffering the consequences and it's time to pull the rope in and to, as it were, tighten the way that we do business. And I mean, one of the warnings that, I mean, I do with a group of colleagues still try and pass the odd message of advice to people in government. And one of the things that we were extremely worried about was that as companies suffered the consequences of the pandemic, the Chinese would go around buying up Mm. bits of our infrastructure cheap whilst we were in this situation. I mean, it's very, very important that we keep a key eye on this and do not allow the Chinese to benefit strategically from this situation that has been imposed on all of us. Which which brings us to the conspiracy theory, I guess, that an, an engineered escapee, the virus, could not possibly have been engineered with a view to causing global turmoil so China could benefit from it, could it? No, I don't. Uh, absolutely. Because, I mean, China itself has suffered hugely and probably more than we realise because they will have not published the true figures. I do think that this started as an accident. Okay, once it started, there are things about the Chinese behavior which are completely shocking. But uh, there was nothing deliberate about the origins of it. I mean, the research into viruses, well, I 
I won't go into the sort of motives for the research, but the medical motives are, are quite well understood. But it's a risky business if you make a mistake. Yes. So finally, Richard, you once said that those who have experienced the Cold War firsthand, as you have, have, and I quote, a duty to warn the younger generation about the dangers to our freedoms from communist regimes. Thank you so much for doing exactly that for us today on Planet Normal. Well, Alison, it's a real privilege and a pleasure to be one of your guests. <laughs> I love the concept because I think there are a lot of people out there who really do worry and think hard about these issues and you don't get necessarily clear statements about what lies behind them. But as as we've seen, I suppose, you know, quite often the the gut instinct of the man in the street or, you know, the person on the Clapham omnibus is often very good, isn't it, about these things? I think it's excellent. I think there's a basic wisdom the man, the woman on the Clapham omnibus, they tend to get these judgments right. And so often the commentators do not get them right. So I think you're putting in a wonderful bit of balance here. Go beyond the headlines with The Telegraph's daily coronavirus podcast, a roundup of the latest news on the pandemic from our leading journalists, with analysis on the impact on health, business and travel every weekday evening. Search Coronavirus the latest on your podcast app. That's an absolutely astonishing interview, Alison. Absolutely astonishing. We had a a former head of MI6 saying that he believes the coronavirus pandemic, quote, started as an accident when the disease escaped from a laboratory in China. He's basing that on a scientific paper, a peer-reviewed scientific paper that's about to be published, which will, of course, be contested. The science in this area is very much an argument in process, but still a really astonishing thing for one of our most senior intelligence officers to say in public. Yes, Liam. I mean, he does talk our language, doesn't he? And I thought that tribute at the end to the man and woman on the Clapham omnibus from him was was very moving, actually. And A, it was a huge privilege to talk to him. I've met him socially and he always comes out with some absolutely jaw-dropping fact. But when he mentioned that he had evidence that the virus had escaped from a, from a laboratory, I was, it was one of those moments in journalism when you think, uh, okay, great. Um, yeah, it's it's earth shattering, isn't it? If true, and as you say, the science isn't a hundred percent, but they have a very strong argument going. And these inserts in the genome, the RNA sequencing of the virus, do seem to be there, and they could only have occurred in a laboratory, and they wouldn't occur in nature. So, what do we say now? I mean, everything, everything is up for grabs. Everything's changed, isn't it? You were very careful in your interview, I must say, despite your jaw being on the floor, I'm sure, <laughs> yes. to stress that this is the opinion of a single scientific paper, albeit a scientific paper by two extremely well-regarded scientists, which has been peer-reviewed. But of course, Richard Dearlove will have done his due diligence. He's not a scientist, but he's an extremely canny operator who will have taken soundings before talking to you from all kinds of sources and if this does turn out to be the scientific conventional wisdom and the debate will go on, then the geopolitical implications are quite mind-boggling. Well, I thought it was 
terribly interesting that he talked about everything would have to go into reverse, the, particularly the UK's relationship with China will have to, you know, the brakes will have to be slammed on. I think we're already sensing a momentum there, aren't we? Lots of uh, Tory MPs are kicking up rough about it. I also thought it was interesting. He He said to me, that he thought George Osborne had been extremely naive. Well, I should say to our, our listeners, our regular listeners, uh, I say hesitancy after two episodes. Ordinarily, we'd run a Planet Normal interview at sort of six or seven minutes, and then we'd spend a lot more time talking about it and about other news. But I think we all felt this was such a huge interview that we needed to run it at length and take up most of the episode with it. I think that was exactly the right decision. And many congratulations to you, Alison. Your longer chat with Richard, dear love, the unedited version, subscribers will be able to listen to the entire interview at telegraph.co.uk forward slash planet normal. I know he also talks about universities, he talks about an overdependence on Chinese students. Absolutely. Uh, again, more amazing stuff. He talks about when I first met him, he was the master of Pembroke College, Cambridge. He's very critical about the university's dependence on, on Chinese students, many of whom, or some of whom, he uh, claims are working undercover for the regime. Did you know, Liam, I was amazed to discover that the Russell Group Universities has 20% of its students are Chinese. So that means that... That's our, our top dozen or so universities, aside from Oxford and Cambridge. Absolutely. Incredible. Incredible. And as Richard did say, anyone who listens to the full interview, he says that's a great credit to us being this world leader in further education, but it also has many implications for intellectual property, Chinese students who are doing science and engineering degrees, who then can, you know, obviously take that uh, knowledge back home. Yeah, he talks about, I, I had a delve into the, the director's cut, if you like, you know, Richard Dearlove, <laughs> very senior person. <laughs> Reservoir Dogs, about an, yes. The an organised <laughs> ripoff of intellectual property and organised intelligence operations in some of our universities orchestrated by you know, a number of Chinese students. Not, of course, all or even most or even many, but some. That's the point. Higher education is, is one of our key export sectors. We've got some of the best universities in the world, and you're proud of that, Alison. I'm extremely proud of that. One of the great strengths of our university sector is its diversity, and that includes Chinese people who come here, study with us, many of whom can end up making their careers in the UK in future years. But for Richard Dearlove, having thought long and hard, having been an educationalist himself, held senior posts in higher education as well as in intelligence, to make this statement, it cannot be ignored. Certainly can't. And the tentacles of Chinese power, which are everywhere. So one thing we can say now, and again, uh, you can listen to in the longer interview, is that when they were looking to publish this paper about the virus being engineered in China, the first, one or two of the publishers, the Chinese have bought up a lot of the scientific publishers. So it was actually quite difficult to find someone who would publish it. And one publisher, who shall remain nameless, kept the paper declined it, but then rushed out two Chinese papers immediately contradicting it. So this to me is a sinister aspect, Liam, of Chinese power, that if it buys up voices, powerful outlets in the West and uses its money to silence them, we're going to be in big trouble, aren't we? 
Of course, some people will have different opinions about that. Some people at certain journals will have not wanted to publish the paper because they simply didn't agree with it. That's what cutting-edge science is often like, but a really incredible statement there from Richard Dearlove. Let's move on, Alison. I'm sure there'll be many, many ramifications of that interview. But just before we go, let's have some messages from readers and Planet Normal listeners. What have you had this week, not least in response to our our launch edition? Well, most people seem to be pretty favourable, Liam, quite amazingly. I'm sure that's down to you, not me. Your inexperienced (laughs) sidekick here. I've had absolute sackfuls of stuff about the lockdown. Diana Dixon says she's sick of Matt Hancock's schoolboy warnings to stick to the rules. She said she and her husband survived being bombed in World War II, diphtheria, polio, all the childhood diseases, seasonal flu, Asian flu, swine flu, to name but a few. They're convinced they had COVID back in December and they say, for us, it's bye-bye bonkers Boris rules. subscribers to the sun as well as to the telegraph well yeah helen james wrote to us and she said thanks for this podcast and thanks in particular for interviewing alan johnson what a guest he was and reminding me of the time when politicians were allowed to quote see both sides and did not have to rubbish their opponents in the most unpleasant language available at every opportunity i think that's why we launch this podcast isn't it Alison and as we get into our stride hopefully that will show we want to have guests on who we may agree with we may disagree with but the discussion will be civilized and relatively polite you and I will disagree about things from time to time but we do so without assuming bad faith yeah I think that people are very sick of the sort of strident tribalism that they see when they turn on the news and you know one particular view we see this particularly with the pandemic that Anyone who tries to disagree is angrily swatted away as somebody who wants people to die. Well, no, we we should be able to discuss these things and bearing in mind everybody's sensitivities. I had a very moving email from Father Tom. I'm a Catholic priest, he says, and I have seen the grief of families unable to bring the remains of their loved ones into the church they have attended for years. Instead, they must go from morgue straight to burial. We have to lock our churches, not just missing Sunday Mass, but leaving people unable to pop in and say a prayer. Apparently, if they do allow us back, we are told we cannot sing hymns. They tell us everything we cannot do in minute detail. If this is the cost of the virus, then let us have it. It is more kind than our politicians. Blimey, that's moving. I must say, on a a slightly lighter note and to end, my favourite message of the week was from Stephen, who said, uh, Halligan and Pearson, if you're looking for things they have in common, they were both useless at University Challenge. Well, it's a fair (laughs) comment, Stephen, but it's a lot tougher than it looks, right, Alison? (laughs) Knowing the answer is one thing, pressing the buzzer first... (laughs) Is another well. I think I, I think I think Liam that you know. Obviously, I was pressing the buzzer and it was totally rigged. Chris Collins for my sixtieth birthday. My present was to snorkel in January. We never sixty. No, sixty. This is Chris Collins. I am going to be sixty soon. For my sixtieth birthday, said Chris Collins. My present was to snorkel in January with orcas and humpback whales. The following year, I went paragliding. Last year, we visited active volcanoes. This year, I'm not allowed to do my own risk assessment to visit a pub. <laughs> that is the that is the voice, Mr. Halligan of Planet Normal. Open the I pubs. I think the pub's going to be the last things to open, aren't they? <laughs> Sadly, yes. So there you have it, listeners. Our second episode of Planet Normal. Do join us next week and every week. 
And before then, please send us your thoughts on the lockdown, on China, on Sir Richard Dearlove, on anything you like to planetnormal at telegraph.co.uk. And as we said, subscribers can listen to the full version of Alison's astonishing interview with Sir Richard Dearlove. And if you're not already a subscriber to The Telegraph, you can get the first 30 days free at telegraph.co.uk forward slash normal. And we'll put links in the show's description on your podcast app. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please do write to us. Tell your friends, your mother, even your postman, your milkman to visit Planet Normal. And please leave us a five-star rating, even a little review. Be kind, please. We're, we're new to this on Apple Podcasts. As a new show, it really does help people to find us. Most importantly of all, subscribe to this feed to make sure you don't miss our upcoming episodes. Lots of readers emailed desperately last week saying they couldn't find it, but Louisa, the producer, sorted them out. So don't be shy just ask some fantastic guests coming up all ready to join us on planet normal helping us to bring you news and views from beyond the bubble who will be next you'll have to wait until next thursday to find out and a final treat from planet normal god we're spoiling you (laughs) if you're listening to this on thursday the 4th of june and you're a subscriber to the telegraph Alison and I will be venturing below the line, uh, commenting on the Telegraph website, responding to your views in real time throughout the day. Again, that link will be included in the description of the show. So I'll just thank our producer that Alison mentioned, the fantastic Louisa Wells, and our equally fantastic editor, Theo Leludis. And until next Thursday, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.